Hey everyone, this is Will Oremus, here with a special bonus episode of If Then. This week was Apple's big annual event, where they announced the new mobile devices that will soon be parting us fools from our money. If you buy any of the ones they announced today, it's definitely going to be a lot of money. This is a big day in the tech news world, and we wanted to help you make sense of what happened and what it means. Here to help me do that is one of the best gadget writers in the business, Christina Bonington. Christina has written for Wired, The Daily Dot, and Refinery29. We're now lucky to have her as a regular contributor at Slate. She covers emerging technology and consumer technology. Hey, Christina. Hey. All right, I'm glad to have you here to help me make sense of this. Apple today announced three new iPhones. There's the 10s, the 10s Max, and the 10R. And then there's a new Apple Watch with a bigger screen and some cool heart monitoring technologies. What was one takeaway for you from today's event? Yeah, so for me, I wasn't super excited about the new iPhone today. I was actually a bit more excited about the prospect of the new Apple Watch Series 4. It builds on last year's Series 3 with a new heart rate sensing technology that allows you to measure your ECG, take an electrocardiogram. Um, And I found that pretty exciting because it's the first uh, FDA-approved over-the-counter device to do so. Yeah, I agree. That's the thing that stood out to me, too. I mean, you know, the phones at this point are the phones, but it was sort of like the Apple Watch has transformed overnight into a medical device, a life-saving device. Um, And I know they've been working in that direction for some time. They've really embraced the idea of the Apple Watch as uh, first as a fitness band and now as this sort of like personal health monitor that you carry with you everywhere. Yeah. um, I was actually a little surprised to hear that they got the FDA clearance because it is something that takes so long. And I would have thought that would have been something that we kind of heard a leak on or something. Um, But it's exciting because, you know, heart health is uh, something – that's important to everyone. And a lot of the population has a heart condition. uh, And this will help people to be able to detect that um, without having to go to the doctor in the first place. And kind of one of the problems with um, some of these heart conditions, like one of them is um, atrial fibrillation, which is just um, an irregular heartbeat. It's sometimes you, you feel it, but it may not happen when you actually go to the doctor. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint and kind of hard to to detect. Now, um, if you sense, you know, a fluttery heart rate or something, you can stop, put your your thumb on the the dial of your Apple Watch and take 30 seconds and measure your ECG. And then you'll have a measure that you can take as a PDF to your doctor. Yeah, this sounds amazing. And I'm really curious to see if it works at a clinical level. I mean, I guess it, it, it must if it got the FDA approval. I actually went into my doctor a few years ago with, with heart palpitations, and they had me wear this thing called a Holter monitor, and I had to wear it around. I couldn't take a shower. Uh, it was this bulky thing I wore under my shirt for days at a time. Um, then I had to bring it back, and they still didn't find anything. Um, hopefully that means my heart is fine. But if the Apple Watch worked and you could just wear it all the time and it could do the same thing, that would be... And that would be incredible. It's an example of tech actually potentially saving lives. I mean, all the, all the tech companies like to talk about how they're changing the world for the better. This is this one's pretty hard to be cynical about uh, if it if it really does have the potential to save lives. I could also I noticed that Apple in its marketing of the new Apple Watch, some of the uh, models that it was showing were older folks, and and maybe they're targeting uh, an older generation with this device. Uh, it, it really is an it's an interesting new direction. 
Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I agree. I think that it kind of started out as something for techies, you know, uh, that the um, millennials and younger folks, you know, it was a little more of a status symbol, like a, like a nice watch. And now it's, it's kind of evolved beyond that. It's, you know, a fitness tool, it's a health tool. Um, and it's, you, it's something that's useful whether or not you're glued to your smartphone all day long or not. Yeah, it took them a while to figure out exactly what the Apple Watch was and what it was for. You're right, when they launched it, it seemed like they weren't quite sure. They In the second one, I think they went tried to become more of a luxury device. Like they, they marketed it in fashion magazines. Um, they came out with a really expensive band. That didn't, I don't know, maybe that did work. I don't know. It didn't work with anybody that, that I know or that's in my income bracket. Um, but it seems like they've, they've found the niche for it now, and it p- could potentially be a very large one and, and could make the Apple Watch finally uh, what Apple hoped it would be in the first place, which is something that that most people have someday, um, like most people now have a smartphone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, yeah, the first generation was kind of a seemed more like a status symbol, just kind of an extension of your connectivity to your iPhone. Uh, then the second gen, uh, you know, also kind of built on that was like a little more of a luxury style item. And then the third gen, I felt like that was when they really got into fitness. That was when they added the um, waterproof ability, swim tracking, things like that. And then now we're getting more into just general health. Right, and and this is the Series Four, as you mentioned, and I heard that Fitbit's uh, stock took a dive today as Apple was was doing its announcement. Um, but let's talk about the phones uh, for a minute, um, because those are the the headliner, they're the driver of Apple's business. They are, by some measures, uh, the most successful consumer products in the world. Um, there are three new phones. Are they uh, much of an upgrade over what came before? In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no, is the is the short answer. Um, basically, they um, the two flagship phones, the iPhone X, uh, I always say iPhone X, iPhone XS, I do that and too. the iPhone and the iPhone XS Max. I was really hoping they would change their uh, um, their wording and start calling it the X, but uh, yeah. So the iPhone XS and XS Max, it really builds on last year's iPhone X. So it looks very similar. Comes in one extra color, a gold finish. But other than that, it has a is a better processor. Uh, a12 Bionic chip um, has, has a lot more kind of neural networking, uh, real-time machine learning going on in the background as you're using the phone. Um, has a slightly improved camera system, mostly on the software side. The camera hardware is basically the same as the iPhone 10. Uh, as the iPhone 10. Um, let's see the. Outer hardware is pretty much the same. Again, there's no home button. Uh, you're going to log in with Face ID. Um, yeah, so those two phones are pretty similar to last year's iPhone 10, just incremental updates. Um, and then Apple also introduced a new, uh, what it's calling a, a budget phone. Uh, which is it really, really trying to call budget. it a budget phone? No, well, that's what the rumors were calling it. I actually don't think that Apple ever said the word budget on stage, but it is okay, of the three new phones, it's the cheapest option. And that's that's the the 10R, which is $799, right? Yes, yeah. I think one of the underrated things about what Apple did today or what they've done with their last two iPhone events is that they've normalized these insane prices. Like, remember when the, the rumors first came out a year and a half ago that there would be a $1,000 iPhone? Everybody gasped. And now they yeah. came out with three iPhones. They're 1000 1100 and then the cheap one is 800 yeah, or I think it might be it might be seven forty nine, seven fifty. Seven forty nine. Sorry about that. There. Okay, 
so so yeah, I mean they they now I think and Apple obviously has the market research to know that that people will buy it because people will buy anything that that Apple puts out. They all, everybody just wants to have a lot of people at least want to have the latest iPhone. I thought one thing that was significant about the new lineup is um, the 10R seems like a smart play to me because in the previous lineup, if you didn't want to buy the $1,000 iPhone, you had to buy one that was older in some way or it, or it felt like some kind of throwback or it felt like last year's tech. It didn't have the same name. So now you can buy one that's not the priciest and still feel like you have the latest tech. The 10R does have most of the same basics as, as the 10X and the 10X Max. Uh, sorry, the 10S and the 10S Max. It's funny. Apple used to be famous for the, the simplicity of their product line, and now even people like you and me who follow this stuff can't keep straight what the different models are. Yeah. Uh, and then is it capitalized? Is it not capitalized? <laughs> yeah, our, our copy editors were actually having having a debate about this today at Slate. They were slacking back and forth frantically as to how uh, what which letters should be capitalized in iPhone 10s and 10s Max. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, in the past that um, whatever cheapest option Apple came out with, it kind of felt like a really low end option. It was it wasn't so attractive. And this one is it has uh, has the same process processors inside as the iPhone 10s and the 10s Max. Um, the only has a different um, it has a different outer appearance. It's actually kind of somewhere in between the 10s and the old uh, like iPhone 8 design. It still has an aluminum back rather than the glass back of the iPhone 10. The big difference is the camera. On the back of it, it has just one single 12 megapixel lens, as opposed to the iPhone 10s and 10s Max, which have the dual wide angle lens and telephoto lens on the back. So basically, as long as you don't mind having like the super camera capabilities, then this would be a good a good buy that would save, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Um, and yeah, I mean, when Apple came out with iPhone 10 last year with that with that thousand dollar price tag, um, everyone thought it was going to tank that no one would pay that much for a smartphone. And now that's becoming the new norm. Other new smartphones that are coming out also have that price tag. Um, and I guess maybe since that, pr- that price is just getting um, lumped into people's you know monthly data, data plan payments, it's not quite so hard to bite off as like paying $1,000 up front. Right. I think f- anecdotally for people, friends of mine and people who are generally sort of middle class, um, I have noticed people hanging on to their old phones longer. Um, I've noticed people who used to always get the latest iPhone are now opting to to maybe get one of the less expensive ones, but they are clearly still finding the market for these super expensive devices. And and that's always been Apple's strategy, right? They, they don't want to sell the most phones. They want to make the most money selling phones. And you do that by having a huge profit margin on each of them. Um, let's talk for a second about what will not be part of the iPhone experience anymore. I think I read that there are now no more uh, iPhones that come with a headphone jack. Ooh, I think you're right. Um, up until um, this announcement today, uh, Apple did still sell the iPhone SE, and that may have been the last phone with a headphone jack, and Apple just removed that from the lineup. So, yeah, no headphone jack, and then all of this year's phones don't have a home button either. Right, so two of the the core parts of the of the original iPhone experience are now gone. Um, what's the significance to you of not having the headphone jack? I mean, a lot to a lot of people that sounds crazy. Like I hear parodies on morning radio shows. Um, don't ask me why I listen to morning radio shows, but of Apple, uh, of like how weird it is for Apple to be taking away your headphone jack, and and it's making seems like it's making the phone worse. Why is it doing that? 
You know, I think that Apple is banking on the future being wireless, and you can kind of see that with the phones that's come out the past two years, with the, starting with the iPhone X. So uh, let's see. So it removed the headphone jack a couple years back. Um, then with the iPhone X, with last year's phones, introduced wireless charging. Um, it's closing off, you know, all those ports that the phone used to have that um, they were, uh, you know, you know, they offered functionality, but they were also kind of a liability in terms of durability. Uh, they allowed dirt and water to get in. So Apple's kind of, so Apple got rid of the headphone jack. And then kind of shortly thereafter, we saw Apple's phones start to get uh, higher uh, waterproof, water resistant ratings. Um, we saw that go up again this year with the iPhone XS and uh, XS Max. They're now ip 6 Eight certified, if I'm not mistaken, which means they can last for up to 30 minutes in up to two meters of water. So um, that's good news, but it's also annoying if you have a good pair of headphones that have a headphone jack that you can't use with your iPhone without an annoying and awkward looking dongle in its lightning port. Right. I mean, if it's a trade-off between being able to uh drop my iPhone in a glass of wine or a glass of beer, as apparently Apple did in its testing um, for this new phone, and being able to have a headphone jack, I would probably take the headphone jack, to be honest. Um, but our producer, Max, is, is pointing. wants me to point out, it's not that you can't wear headphones with these devices, but you need a dongle, and Apple has actually will stop shipping that dongle for free. You now have to pay an extra nine bucks for the dongle. So it really does feel like it's trying to... to push people toward that wireless future, which of course is something that, that Apple has always done. Like they, they don't, they don't wait for the market to come around to a new idea. They, they force that new idea and then, and then the market, you know, it generally comes around eventually. And, uh, but, but I think, you know, maybe people aren't ready yet to have to buy AirPods to go with their phones. So you can still, you can still use headphones. It's just a little clunky. Yeah. And then there's, uh, you know, there's also uh, Apple still has its white earbuds that it includes in the box usually um, that have the lightning connector. And so it has its whole lineup of of uh, headphones. Uh, you know, there's, it has its line of Be- Beats headphones as well that um, either connect wirelessly to the iPhone or via that lightning connector. Speaking of AirPods, we didn't hear any announcements today about AirPods. Do you expect anything soon, like a second generation of AirPods? Yeah, that was surprising. That was one thing I definitely thought we'd see today um, and was surprised not to see that. Um, I would imagine uh, people are already talking that Apple's probably going to have a second event this year, uh, probably an iPad and Mac focused event, maybe in October or November. Um, So it's possible that Apple could um, introduce uh, second generation AirPods at that event. Or if it's kind of a minor upgrade, we could just see an update and, and on Apple's website that, you know, a second generation is available. Um, but considering what a big deal Apple made of them when they first came out, I would be really surprised if Apple went with a just a quiet update rather than something with a little more fanfare. Yeah, I've from the moment Apple announced AirPods, and this this is both you and I, I think, have have covered fairly extensively the the rise of voice technology and voice uh, user interfaces, um, Siri and Alexa and the Google Assistant. And so, from the moment they announced AirPods, I thought that could be a big product for them. It's it's you know it's a, a new way of interacting with your phone where you just walk around you, talking to your phone, giving commands via Siri. Do you th- I mean, do you think that is the future for, for Apple devices or, or do you think that that will still be a limited market where not everybody's going to want to walk around like the character in her uh, muttering to themselves into their, into their AirPods and talking to Siri? 
Yeah, so that's an interesting question. And I kind of think that Apple is um, preparing itself for multiple different future scenarios. So you've got, you've still got your, your iPhone tennis, uh, your, your smartphone. Uh, you've got your Apple Watch if you prefer, you know, a, smaller wrist-based experience and you can still talk to your wrist, you know, as well. Um, and then you've got AirPods, uh, which are just kind of a little invisible to the outside world and give you, you know, connectivity to your phone without actually pulling it out. Um, and then Apple's also supposedly working on a pair of augmented reality glasses, which again would be something that kind of disappears more into your everyday life, but still gives you that connection and information from your phone. And I think um, with that combination of four different products, um, Apple's preparing itself for whatever direction consumers seem to kind of flock to the most. And I think right now that seems to be more the Apple Watch experience. That was the first product that Apple led with in today's event. And maybe AirPods have supposedly done pretty well, but maybe that future is just a little a little further off. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see when they announce the second generation of that product. It is kind of amazing how whenever Apple does launch a new device category, there's always so much skepticism at the beginning. And then you know, two or three years later, you look and hear a bunch of people wearing AirPods on the street, right? Um, or wearing an Apple Watch and, and you know, not looking ridiculous for doing it. Um, that market power is incredible. Um, I wanted to flag a story that, that my co-host April Glazer wrote about uh, how Apple is pulling us into our personal clouds. She wrote that last year and then I think did an update for, for this year's event. But it's true that we're, we're, we're kind of being, becoming surrounded as we walk around. If you are one of these, these hardcore Apple consumers, you have Apple in your pocket. You have Apple on your wrist. You have Apple in your ear. Um, and now with the heart rate monitoring, as, as cool as that is and as amazing as that is, it does, there's something a little insidious about the idea that in order to, to protect your, your life or to, to save your life, you have to buy into this incredibly expensive, um, high-end, uh, proprietary Apple ecosystem. Yeah, I agree. There, There is something definitely kind of creepy about that. And Apple insists that it, you know, that the data is yours, that it's all encrypted, that, uh, you know, yet the data belongs to you. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, as a consumer, you, you don't know, you just kind of have to trust companies on their word for it. And then you wait until there's, a, you know, a major data breach to find out whether that's, that's actually true or not. And especially with, um, with health information, that is, that is very sensitive information that you don't want to get in the wrong hands. Um, so, you know, whether you trust um, Apple and Apple products with that information is as a personal decision, and it might not be something that's right for everyone. I mean, I guess we can be thankful that Apple at least doesn't have that advertising-driven business. So it doesn't have those same incentives that Facebook and Google and Twitter have to track you everywhere you go and use that information to, to target you. Um, that said, it does have probably more sensitive data on its users than just about any other company. Um, your iPhone is tracking you everywhere you go all the time. It's just not giving that, it's just not using that for advertising purposes. And one of the announcements today was interesting to me in that vein. Um, they are working on putting more machine learning processing capability on the, the device itself, on the chip. And when we've, we've talked about using AI um, until recently, usually that's happening in the cloud. So your, your device, if you load Google um, on your 
device, Google servers are doing some some machine learning, some AI crunching in the cloud and then spitting results back to you. Um, Apple is now doing more of that kind of stuff locally. Um, and I, I think part of the reason is privacy, right? Yeah, so it has um, what it calls the secure enclave on the device, and that's where it keeps some of that super sensitive information, uh, like uh, on older phones that do have a a fingerprint sensor. That's where your fingerprint fingerprint data goes. That's where your face ID data lives. Um, So Apple, you know, created this dedicated chip that is, um, has additional security protections in place to keep that that sensitive data um, from being accessed if the phone were to fall into the wrong hands. Yeah, and, and it's clear that they've used privacy as a selling point, which I actually I actually appreciate. I mean, you could say it's cynical, but I, I think when they went to the mat uh, with the FBI to try to protect the phone of a, a suspect in a terror attack, I mean, I think they're trying to signal, look, we really we really are serious about this, and that's part of their competitive advantage. Over uh, over Android, but it is a little dystopian that we that we live in this environment where you have to pay tons of money to have a phone that does protect your privacy or care about protecting your privacy, and then the people who can't afford iPhones get the Android devices that are that are selling your data <laughs> or not selling your data. That's not quite fair to Google, but that are collecting uh, and and profiling you uh, all the time. All right, so let's zoom back out here as we get to the end of our show and look at the big picture. Where is Apple headed? What's what's your big takeaway from from all the stuff that they've announced today and also just the coverage you've been doing of their products over the past year or two? Yeah, so this kind of felt like a new mobile generation for Apple. Um, we've had uh, more than 10 years of the iPhone now, and Apple introduced the iPhone 10 last year as kind of a pretty radical departure from the previous uh, iPhone experience. So now we've got... Um, a suite of three iPhones this year with no home button, no headphone jack. Um, they have wireless charging. They um, have a different um, a different navigation with iOS iOS 11 now iOS 12, um, and it's kind of a new era for the iPhone. Um, and I think that's it'll be really interesting to see you know how consumers react and where Apple decides to go from here. Um, it's clear that. Apple believe the future is more wireless. We're more connected with uh, accessories like the, like AirPods, like the Apple Watch, um, and perhaps in the not too too distant future, augmented reality glasses as well. Um, yeah, and so Apple is just kind of these products are kind of setting the stage for this this new um, ultra mobile future. So what you're saying is that my old iPhone six with its cracked screen is now fully. And and completely obsolete. Yeah, yeah, that thing needs to be dead and buried, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Christina Bonington, thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, I hope you'll check out Christina's coverage of Apple uh, in Slate. She's writing two stories about this event, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, Christina, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, thanks again for tuning into this bonus episode of If Then. A special thanks to Christina Bonington for joining us today. You can follow her work at Slate.com and find her on Twitter at RedGirlSays. You can follow the show on Twitter at IfThenPod. You can also email us at IfThen at Slate.com. 
send comments, questions, or just say hi. And we will be getting very soon to that mailbag episode. We've gotten some great emails in the past week or two that we are hoping to be able to address on a show in the near future. I'm also on Twitter at Will Remus. If Then is a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music is by Doug Chase. Thanks to Laura Flynn for recording help today, and thanks to Occupy Studio in Newark, Delaware. We'll see you back here with my co-host April Glazer, of course, at the regular time next Wednesday. 